Do you want a cash-flowing portfolio that lets you live a life of freedom? Sunsets and palm trees on your terms. Your host, Corey Peterson, is a rags-to-riches real estate millionaire who started with no money or credit and quickly grew a multi-million dollar portfolio of cash-flowing apartments. You're only one deal away from creating the cash flow life, and the Multifamily Legacy Podcast will show you how. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Multifamily Legacy Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peterson, and today we got a really cool guest that's going to share his story of how he jumped into real estate, right? Everybody has a different way that they come into this thing. Some come kicking and screaming, some their foot in the pool, and some just walk up the high dive and say, let's go. And I'll let you figure out through this one how Jason Bake did it. But I'm going to tell you, it's a remarkable story. He really gives us some good insights on underwriting and some of the tools and some of the things that we should be looking at in our underwriting in the horizon. We talk about his growth his process, and whether or not it was all worth it. So guys, you're going to want to check out this episode for sure. But before we do that, a word from our sponsors. Hey everyone, 2023 is the year where new millionaires are made and it's time to take action. A lot of things have changed in multifamily and you need to know what is working now. You must learn how to raise cheap capital correctly. You need the systems to unlock unlimited deal flow and you need a support team to guide you along the way. So guess what? The Kahuna boardroom is now open. We only have space for about 60 people, and I'm telling you, this event is next level. We do it right, we do it well, and I will teach you. I will give you everything that I've learned. Now, I only have space for 60 people, and this is really the course that will get you there. So it's three days of live training, a full home study course, our trusted cash flow calculator, to underwrite your deals. And if you enroll now, I'll include five bonus training sessions building up to the live event. So listen, do not waste a single minute. Go to the Kahuna boardroom. I've just lowered the price to $997 for, this is a Valentine special, my friends. Only 60 people get to attend this event. You want that to be you. So go to kahunaboardroom.com and register today. You will not be disappointed, my friend. All right, guys, we're back. So listen, if you've not joined the Kahuna boardroom, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to urge you, we just dropped the price to $997. It's the lowest I've ever charged for this event. So $997, go to the kahunaboardroom.com and sign up today. We're going to be having uh, an event in April. You will not want to miss it. It will only be for about 60 people, and it is absolutely amazing. So go check it out. So with that said, let's get into this interview. Hey, Jason. Welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me, Corey. Happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. Well, look, really excited about this story because it's one that's near and dear to my heart in my mind is that everybody has a different way they get into real estate. And some people kind of go in kicking and screaming. Some people put one foot in kind of don't test the waters. And then some other people just go off to the high dive and just say, I'm coming, baby, and do a big old floppity flop in it and see what happens. And uh, I think you've got a really unique story. And I'll let everybody, all the listeners figure out which one you decided to choose. So before we do that, though, can you give us a little bit about yourself and your company? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, my name is Jason Bake. I am a managing principal at Compounding Capital Group. We are a multifamily investment firm based out of Cincinnati, and we tend to take on value-add deals. So anything that we can inject some of our own human capital into it 
to provide uh, returns that are a little higher than traditional stabilized assets. Awesome. Love it. So let's hear, you told me a little bit about how you got into real estate, but I would love to hear the more of the detailed version of uh, how you got in this game. Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. So I guess just to start at the beginning, I always told or taught there was one path to living a successful life, quote unquote. And it was to go to a decent school, get a decent job, put your head down, work every single day for the next 45 years and retire 65. And it wasn't until I about a decade into that journey where I realized that it was kind of bullshit and it's not what I want to do with my life. And I've always heard that real estate was the vehicle that most people became millionaires. And knowing that I didn't really have a high need for a lot of money, I figured that it was going to be the most efficient way for me to get to a point where I, I just had time and financial freedom. And so about two and a half years ago, I was a director of data in corporate America. I had been in data my entire life, used to be a management consultant, and I decided to quit my day job and just go into real estate full time when I had absolutely no experience, had not even bought my own house, barely understood how houses held themselves together. But I knew a little bit about how I functioned best, and I figured I'd take a chance with myself for the first time. Wow. So just cold turkey up to the high dive. Let's jump off. Here we go, baby. Yeah, exactly. And as reckless as that seems on the surface, I did save money for three years so that I could have a little bit of a runway for myself. So I wouldn't have to worry about you know where my next meal came from or if I could pay my mortgage. So there was some strategery there, but when you made the decision, and I think that's the key point is when you made the decision, you knew exactly what you were going to do. So there was maybe some planning behind it, but like the decision was made. Exactly. And I'm a big planner. And, and it's funny because, again, it sounds like I took a bold step in my life, which in hindsight, I did. But even after I saved the amount of money that I promised myself that I would save before I could make the jump, it took me another six months after that. Such a scary move in my life. Yeah. No, listen, I never have seen anybody become super successful doing anything part time, right? Never. And even for me, when I first was doing real estate, I was doing it part-time and I bought some single families and I was somewhat successful, but like not at any levels, right? It was only until I actually, for me, I was a little bit opposite. I got fired from a company. So I had to make a choice what I was going to do next. And so there's two ways you can do that. One is you fire yourself the correct way or you know, the other one was my way, which someone fired me and I was like, oh crap, I'm jumping out of the plane whether I want to or not. I better build the parachute and figure out how I'm going to land this thing. That's funny you say that because I know that if I juggled two things, I would be terrible at both things. And I also didn't want to leave my corporate life behind on a bad note. So I figured if I didn't fire myself, that I would also eventually get fired. I kind of made that choice preemptively. Yeah. It really is funny. If you really look at successful people, you will see, and a lot of them have these kind of journeys, right? Like, hey, I thought I was going to move in this direction, but it's really, there's a usually a pivotal moment in time where it's like, I know this to be true. I know this is where I need to go. And then you fully commit. And anybody that I've seen at a very high level, whether it's sports or athletes or anything like that, anybody that's been like, look at Michael Jordan, right? I mean, you can look at all those guys. They all have the same trait. They got super focused on what they wanted to do, and then they went all in. Doesn't surprise me much when you say that, hey, I did this, and then you were able to do X, Y, and Z because you premeditated that stuff. Yeah, it's all uh, slowly coming together day by day. Right. And it's a journey, probably not where you want to be yet, but you still are focusing on where you're going. 
Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. And I mean, I have a little bit of traction today and the goal is to yeah, get a lot farther than I am right now. When did you really jump in? Is it how many years ago or is it recently or talk to me? Two and a half years is when I gave up that corporate life and I jumped immediately into single okay. family homes. I was in single family homes for barely like a year before I decided multifamily was the direction I wanted to head. Okay. Yep. That sounds that's another common scenario, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Thought it was single family's the answer, but then you're like, yeah, it's not what I think it is, right? There's no long-term wealth there, by the way. Right. And it's just like really hard to scale. Like my goal wasn't to spend the next 40 years picking up one single family home at a time, just another day job that I gave to myself. I wanted to get to financial and time freedom faster. And even just driving around from one address to the next one of single family homes takes time. It's inefficient. So multifamily seemed the, like the next logical step. Yeah, very logical for sure. And then how many units do you own now? About 350. Yeah, awesome. That's that's huge. How many complexes is that? Three, four, five, six, seven, I believe. Okay, so seven complexes. Now, so, and by the way, this puts you in a very unique class. So I always like to follow up with that question because it shows the kind of strategy that you're using. A lot of people coming on these podcasts think that you have to buy these big 100 unit plus apartments. Like now that's what I buy, but like I believe there is a absolute way to buy, Jason, probably what you're buying. Can you expand on what you're buying and what, what that looks like? Yeah, anything from, let's say, 25 to 150 units is, is the range that we look for. We have stuff. I mean, even last year, we bought something as small as a 17 unit and as large as like 65, 80, oh, sorry, a 65, 70 unit. And so because we're looking for value add deals, we're also trying to buy them at a right price. And it's a lot easier to get like a mom and pop that owns mid-sized apartment complex, maybe some sort of bargain. <laughs> Absolutely. And that's the key, right? So I'm telling you right now, guys, if you're listening, that is a honey hole of buying those mid-level between 12 to 60 units, 70 units. That's not the seasoned investor per se. That's the mom and pop that owns those things. And they probably don't know exactly. They probably made some mistakes or they've not raised rents in a while. And so there's opportunity, lots of opportunities in those price ranges. Exactly. And I mean, real estate is all about trying to find opportunities where maybe assets are just mispriced or there's motivation for someone to offload a property. And I mean, we still offer on large institutional apartment complexes, but when you're trying to buy from a huge company that's got their systems down, very rarely do they need a reason to sell. They're just trying to make some cash and sell at the top of the market. Yeah. I'm trying to sell it for the most I can get for it. Yeah, exactly. And the next person has to understand how to put value into it because I'm not going to teach them. A hundred percent. So now with doing the smaller stuff though, it creates its own set of complications. And I would love for you to talk a little bit about how you get through that. And the first thing I think about is personnel, right? How do you show and manage those properties um, when they're a smaller scale like that? Yeah, we leverage third-party property management companies, but even that is never a long-term solution. I don't want to offend property managers out there, but at the end of the day, if you don't have equity in a deal, you'll never care as much about an asset as someone who does have equity long-term. So we try our best to pick the right partners and we're always consistently testing. There's property managers that we've fired before that we try to get them onto our processes. We try to find compromises. So that's definitely a hurdle with dealing with smaller asset uh, sizes. But our goal is also we're trying to be hyper-focused. We invest out of Cincinnati. We have some specific markets south of Dayton that we like, some specific areas of Columbus that we like. So by 
building a portfolio one 30, 40 unit at a time, but in the same zip code, our idea is hopefully to have more leverage to try to get into more institutional level property management. Yeah, no, I totally agree. So listen, we can all say it together, guys. <laughs> all management companies suck, right? They just do, unfortunately. Now, I'm sorry that I'm offending property management companies. Now, only because I just created my own, right? So to manage just my stuff, right? I've virtually integrated. That's what they call it, right? I've virtually integrated. And for the same reason, what you just talked about, Jason, is like, no one's going to care about your money as much as you do. And third-party management companies are just not built exactly. to care. They're built to get fees. So what's that movie with, gosh dang it, it's the Wolf of Wall Street, right? Where he goes in and he's talking, he's like, your goal is to get their money and put it into yeah. your deal, right? With Matthew McConaughey. I swear to God, you can just say, it's not a stock, but it's just a property management company. It's like, what? It's Fagazi, right? Sometimes I feel like that is their role is to make sure they get as much as your profit and money that you're working for into their coffers. But you bring up a good point though, by scaling in your area, then you get some compounding effect on the work, right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, my business partner and I, we talk every single week about the potential of starting our own property management company. But I know that's a whole slew of other business problems that, that comes with running that. So at least our short-term goal is, again, it's all about leverage, right? If you're dealing with a property management company and you have a 15 unit that you're trying to get them to manage and they've got a thousand units that they manage, you're a small fish in their pond. And so even the more units that we can offload to the same property management company, ideally we become a bigger client to them and they treat us a little better. So that's short-term, long-term, yeah. potentially trying to bring on personal ourselves, maybe at least as a leasing manager that focuses on a geographic area, but it's a, an evolving conversation, I'll say. Yeah. And for everybody listening, just so you know, like I think we have like 200 and uh, 2,300 beds or units or whatever you want to call it. So I've been doing this for 10 years now. I just now decided to create my own management company. So, and the only reason we're doing this is because we have now enough income that we get charged that we can actually hire a full team and still have profitability left over. Yeah, exactly. So we have an assistant, which is a place to start. And so we're trying to see what the next most important hire is. Yeah. Amen. So we talked a little earlier too about one of your biggest skill sets was underwriting. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just because I came from a data background, I always knew that I was going to be the underwriter. Not necessarily because I felt that I had to be stuck to it, but honestly, just because I enjoyed so much. I love looking at data, analyzing it, and piecing together the story behind the scenes. And so the way that I was able to find traction was doubling down on that niche skill set. And obviously, I wear a lot of hats today. I'm not just an underwriter. I manage the assets. I help with DTS. I find capital for us. So what I actually do is very widespread, but how I market myself is very specific. And I always say, love to underwrite, love to take a look at deals and give people an idea if this makes sense for them. Yeah, it totally makes sense because you wear lots of roles, right? Lots of hats. And you have to, when you're first starting out, you almost wear yeah. them all. But if you're gifted in an area, use those strengths. And I think that's exactly what you're saying is like, hey, listen, I was already in data. I already understood this a lot. And so it made sense that that's easy work for you. For a lot of people like me, I hate putting stuff in spreadsheets. I hate it, right? Now, if someone can get it there, then I can only just hit toggle the buttons that move stuff around. Oh, man, I love that. So a lot of times what I teach is if you're not good at putting the input stuff in, find somebody that is, right? 
and you'll get way more output out of the deals that you looked at. But what have you found are some of your biggest aha moments in underwriting that you really have said, oh gosh, I make sure I look out for this or I see this a lot? Yeah, I have a number of tips and tricks that I use for myself that I teach others to use. But one of the things that I always tell people is if you are starting off your underwriting by opening up a spreadsheet, you're losing a lot of time. And that comes from direct personal experience too, where I would underwrite a deal for when I first started, it would take me eight to 10 hours to plug all the numbers in and really understand what it was. And then I would get really excited because the deal looked amazing. And then I Google the address and I realized it's in Detroit, Michigan. And so I try to always think of everything that I do as a process. So even when you're underwriting, making sure that you start off with the big picture of the area and working your way down to the actual property just makes your life so much easier. And I think there's a, a bit of a misconception too, where people think they can hire out underwriting, give it to their nephew, give it to some virtual assistant from India. But from my point of view, as someone who's been in data my entire life, it's always odd to see people willing to trust a complete stranger that might not even have that much skill set into making investment decisions on their behalf that could be millions of dollars. So my philosophy is always that you should have someone that you actually trust be your underwriter, someone that has a little bit of experience. And I think that makes sure that you're mitigating as much risk as possible. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to remind you, the Kahuna boardroom is open and it's live. And I just want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, anybody that's attended this event, I'm telling you right now that they have been blown away. And the reason for that is, you know how you go to most events and there's a bunch of selling and this, you need that, you need my next course, you need all this other upsell stuff. Like the event that you go to is really not the one that you really need. That's not this. I spend three days teaching you everything that I know. I give you all my forms, all my stuff. And most importantly, if <laughs> I introduce you, I give you my credibility kit. And in other words, we make one for you guys. But because I put myself as your partner, I get to include all my properties in your credibility kit with your branding, your colors. I don't know who else does that, but I'm telling you just for that alone, it is worth the $9.97 just to get in. So if you're looking to change your life in 2023 and really level up, I highly recommend that you go to kahunaboardroom.com and register now. April 27th through the 29th is when the event starts. So when is the Kuna Boardroom? It's April 27th through the 29th in Scottsdale, Arizona. Guys, you will not want to miss the event. The weather's going to be great. It's going to be a wonderful time. And I would love, love to see you there. I believe in, uh, I kind of share the same thought. You have to become a master yourself. If you've not mastered the underwriting process, do not give it to anybody else to do. Only when you've mastered something, then you can actually create a training curriculum and send someone and say, listen, and then work with them closely to where they understand how to get the most data into your spreadsheets. Because that's data entry for the most part, but it's still got to be accurate. Every p is different, right? Once you get there, then you get that person trained, then you can have more efficiencies. But again, it is suicide. And I've seen this a lot when people are like, oh, well, here's my data. And they're like, did you verify any of this? Well, no. Well, I just did and it's crap, right? I always get people to ask me, look at my deals, right? And I'm like, dude, what's going on, right? You just wasted 30 minutes of my time. And I think there's also an element of even if someone is good at plugging numbers in and they're accurate, there's always a lot of room for miscommunication. If you and I don't have the same risk tolerance and if I'm your underwriter 
And I think a deal looks fantastic, but it's actually probably too risky for you and your preference. I don't know that off the top of my head. So I might tell you that this deal is good to go. And then you might go through the effort of closing on it and then realize later on that, oh, there's too much risk for your personal taste. Oh, yeah. You're asking too much. Yeah, so exactly. And so and just to be clear, too, I'm not even saying like there's no analysis in what I'm talking about. I think data entry is like just mm. get the data in there correct. Right. That's step one. Step two is to then say, what does this data mean? How do we manipulate it? What's the growth yeah. for this property? What's the business plan? That takes a Jason or a Corey. That's where you should be doing your high level work is saying, okay, if you can get the data, the raw data in your any calculator correctly, understanding what you're going to do with that raw data, that's the magic, right? That's actually how deals are found. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's about understanding the actual business of multifamily. Like you can train a parrot to plug numbers in, but yeah, if you don't understand yep. what your business plan should be or the risks involved, you're kind of you're just flying blind. Yeah, you're just flying blind. You're going to make mistakes and they're going to yeah, cost you yeah. a lot of money. You know, it's funny in single families, like, oh, you can make mistakes and it's okay. In multifamily, if you make a big mistake on stuff like that, it could cost you a whole lot more. And so you've really got to be mindful of what goes on because those things do have consequences, right? Especially when you're looking at multi-million dollar deals. I love that because it's the same exact thing I say. I mean, you're signing sometimes recourse debt for millions of dollars. You're taking on investor capital from mom, your grandma, your best friend, and it's your reputation and it's your money and your friends and families' money. So I always think that you should do your best to, to really understand what you're getting yourself into. Absolutely. 1000%. Cool. So where do you see, like, where's your future, Jason? And where are you at in this current market cycle? So we acquired a few hundred units last year. This year, we hope to do the same. We are not necessarily syndicators. Last year, we syndicated a few times. We also did a bunch of JVs. So we are in a place where we're just holding out for really great deals. I mean, even today, we're under contract for a 30 unit that will probably close in March or April. And so we are being very selective with the deals that we try to take on just because the market's a little uncertain. But that doesn't mean we're also waiting on the sidelines where we're still making offers and numbers that make sense. We are cushioning our underwriting as much as we feel comfortable with. And we're still trying to pursue a lot of the deals that have actually come back on. When you say cushioning, tell me, what does that look like? What particular line items do you say, hey, we add more to this? Uh, yeah. So making sure that the type of debt is also proper, I'd say would be step one. We love our local bank connections that give us five to seven year fixed debt, really low interest rates uh, comparatively, 24 months IO, we do love that. Bridge debt is really no longer a feasible tool for a lot of multifamily syndicators today. So 9%, 10% money. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I'm getting like five and a quarter from local banks, maybe five or under. And so making sure that you're starting off with the business plan set the right way, I think is hyper important. And also making sure that we're not projecting 5% rent growth year over year, where we're keeping it at three and a half, four. Every time we think that a full turn is going to cost 15,000. Let's cushion that by 2,000 a door just so we have a little bit of extra space. We actually have construction management in-house so we can keep our construction costs very, very low. But even then we still buffer it a little bit. If we have uh, passive investors that we have to pay, we make sure that we can at least cover the first year, maybe two years, depending on how much we owe so that we can get distributions out on time. So there's a lot of areas where you can just buffer it. So you make sure that your business plan is sound. And fortunately, that's possible today. I mean, a year ago, we were making offers 
20% above asking, promising 30-day closes with 100K hard EMD. But now that sellers are coming back at the market and there's not enough buyers, we're able to actually cushion it, make our prices a little lower and still get into best and final. So it's good to start buying. Yeah, beautiful. I agree. It's a good time to be started looking and buying, getting the market. Things have already changing. They're already starting to unlock. So there's going to be some deals out there for sure, especially in the part where I think it gets hit a little bit on that mom and pop section. It doesn't take a whole lot for them to lose faith in what they've got. They have a couple of evictions and they're not getting the income. The market's tight. They'll even be willing to let go of stuff a lot cheaper than you would think just because they want to get rid of the headaches. You never know where they're at. Yeah, exactly. And even all the investors even the that, that bought deals yeah. two to three years ago on Bridgedead, it's getting to a time where they have to make a tough decision on whether their monthly payments double or they also sell. So ideally, there's also a little bit of motivation from recent investors too. For sure. I've got three bridge notes still that I have to get through, right? And I can't even get out of two of them until August. And because we have an 18-month guaranteed minimum interest. And so in my payment now, on these two, I actually had a rate cap, right? So we bought a rate cap and that thing's paying. Ooh, boy, it's paying. Because <laughs> I think we rate capped it at 5.7. And like the rate right now is like 9.2 right, for this current bridge. So we're singing like canaries, right? But geez Louise, if we didn't have that rate cap. I'm guessing also when you bought the rate cap, it was affordable. I mean, today people are asking like $2 million for a, yeah. Yeah, a half a percent rate cap. It just kills the deal. Yeah. We could sell these rate caps right now yeah, for lots yeah, of money. Exactly. But we just want to keep it through the whole cash flow cycle. So we're like, we have another year left on it. So we're like, let's just let it roll. It'll be fine, right? So here's what's great is sometimes you can buy these rate caps outside your loan, which is what we did. And so we actually own the rate cap. So even if I go refi at a better rate at like five, I still get the cap paying me every month. Oh, very cool. I didn't realize I could do that. Oh, yes. Way cool, bro. That's like extra money. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. So- Super excited about that because in August, I think I still have another like six months left on that rate cap from when I actually mm-hmm. refied. And those are just going to be dollars coming, you know, fat dollars coming in, almost $25,000 a month. And so that's, yeah, that's huge. amazing. Yeah. You don't always plan for these things, but has it been hell? Yeah. Right. I mean, it has been. Even if you have a rate cap, it's just like everything's changed. The whole marketplace has changed a little bit. I always say for the existing stuff you have right now, it's time to batten hatches right? Get everything tight and lean. Exactly. I mean, even there was a lot of news in earlier this year where January and December were the worst leasing months of the last decade. And so that's stuff that you just can't plan for, right? Tenants just don't want to move in. And so you have to pay a little bit more for marketing. And this is the time where you're trying to keep occupancy high without necessarily pushing to the top of the market rents. You're not trying to do a ton of renovations to offer beautiful assets to luxury tenants. You're just trying to keep the ship steady and right up the score. Keep your occupancy, keep it high, not create any gaps. Just tighten and batten up the hatches. Exactly. Cool. So Jason, as we kind of come to the end of this, what does the future look like for you guys? Where do you guys see yourself in the next five years? That's also a continuing conversation. I think we definitely want to be multifamily investors for a very long time, but we're also exploring different asset classes. I look at land and retail commercial in New Jersey, where I live. We want to grow our team. We want to not necessarily be a giant company with 20 employees, but at least add more partners, hire some few people, make sure that we are building systems and making the company a genuine company. 
And even for the next few years, yeah, we're not really sure. I'm trying to see if I can grow an education arm of my business, maybe make some content to try and see if that could be monetized in some way. So we're exploring options. I think multifamily will always be our core DNA, but making sure we're also branching out and not just remaining in one place. Cool. Love it. Well, listen, is there any books that you've read lately that really have inspired you? That's a great question. I read a book called The Unfair Advantage by, I think the author's name is like Hassan and Ali, but it's a book that explains how different people have different advantages in life. If your parents are rich, that's an advantage. If you're a great talker, that's an advantage. If you're really smart for whatever reason, that's an advantage. And making sure that you're self-aware enough to understand what advantages you have in life and leveraging them to the best of your ability, which I think really resonates with me because I used to always be one of those people that I wish I had more money or I wish I was smarter or I was better at talking, but wishing for stuff doesn't really get you anywhere. And it's more about dealing with reality and playing with the cards that you were dealt. So I really like the book. I think I finished it maybe like half a year ago, but still resonates with me. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, that's great. That's a, I'm going to go check it out. That's awesome. We'll put it in the show notes, guys, if you want to check out that book. So Jason, thanks for that. Right. Appreciate that. And what advice would you give for new people that are starting out? Just like you did. For new people starting out, I think the piece of advice that I usually tell people that reach out to me is to double down on the value that you can provide to other people. Multifamily, everyone says it's a team sport. It's 100% true. Unless you're just going to take down quadplexes for the rest of your life, you're going to need partners. You're going to need teams. And if you don't have a concrete value that you add to a team, it's going to be really hard to get your foot in the door. And even the newer investors that reach out to me, all the ones that tell me that they're really scrappy and they're good at everything, they're the ones that I don't really know what to do with. Can't put you in touch with anyone because you didn't really give me a core value proposition. But if you come to me and you tell me, oh, I'm really good at, I think I can raise $250,000. I'm really good at underwriting. I'm really good at asset management. I'm really good at finding deals. Those are the people that I'm like, okay, I can fit you into a niche and then put you with other people that might need that specific skill set. So- I always recommend just doubling down. Awesome. Perfect. Love it, love it, love it, love it. Cool. So if people want to figure out more about you, where do they go out and find you? I'm pretty active on Facebook and LinkedIn. Name is Jason Bake, B-A-I-K. If you're interested in learning more about how we do multifamily, compoundingcapitalgroup.com is the multifamily portion of our business. And for any underwriting education, if you're looking to level up your own analytical skills, it's theunderwritinglab.com. Awesome. Well, Jason, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on this podcast and sharing a little bit of uh, some of your DNA and what's made you special. I love the fact that you just went out and did it, right? You just made up your mind and said, I'm, I'm ready. It's going to be. Yeah. And funny enough, everyone asks me if I regret my decision and my response across the board is not for a single day. It's been pretty rough being an entrepreneur with absolutely no experience. But this journey has been the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. And I wake up every single day looking forward to what I do. So I can't complain. Right on. Guys, you heard it from Jason. You said it's the best thing he's ever done in his life. It is the journey. The journey, guys, is the reward. But the journey starts long before you actually do anything. That journey, my friends, is in your mind. It is the most powerful thing you have. And quite frankly, most of us are not using it to the full potential. Life can give you anything that you want, I promise you. But in order to get it, you have to plant the seed of belief. You have to believe it, guys. If you believe it, you can achieve it. And your paradise is possible.